Welcome to the AccuSmile Podcast, where it's my mission to help new practitioners of Chinese medicine navigate from school to career. I'm Stacy. I'm an acupuncturist and herbalist, podcaster, coach, and creator of Magical Networks. Be sure to check out all four pillars of the podcast where I cover case studies to sharpen your clinical skills, mindset Mondays to support your mental health, new practitioner interviews to prove that you are not alone, and all things business from launching your practice to negotiating your pay if you choose to be an employee. This podcast is made possible by our sponsors. So if you would like to support the podcast, be sure to check out the sponsors page on the website to claim your special AccuSprout offers. When I first started my practice, I was actually kind of a disaster when it came to my books. I hired an accountant who actually laundered money from another client. So I went on a quest to find a bookkeeper who really tailors to and loves working with acupuncturists. And I found Sarah at Horizon West Bookkeeping, and I'm feeling pretty fortunate. Sarah offers acupuncturists and the AccuSprout community a couple different packages so that she can meet you where you are. If you're new to practice, she can come in and do what's called a QuickBooks startup package for you, where you get pretty deep discounts on QuickBooks for about four months. She sets up your chart of accounts, assists with linking your bank accounts, makes sure that all the transactions are imported, and then teaches you how to use it with two hours of one-on-one training. It's a killer deal. She also offers cleanup packages and catch-up packages. Not catch-up packages, guys. Catch-up packages. And a monthly package, which is what I use. And I find it quite affordable and so, so, so worth it because, honestly, I never, since the beginning, have been able to keep up with my bookkeeping. You can schedule a free 15-minute consultation with Sarah to make sure that you guys are the right fit for each other. And you can do that at horizonwestbookkeeping.com forward slash AccuSprout or look for the link in the show notes. Today's episode is also sponsored by Jane, an all-in-one practice management software with helpful features to power your acupuncture practice. Jane offers flexible scheduling options that match the way you work. You have the option of offering one-on-one online sessions for initial consults, meeting in person, and scheduling staggered appointments to accommodate treating patients across different treatment rooms. Jane has you covered. Keep the relaxation going with a seamless checkout experience using Jane's PCI-compliant payment solution, Jane Payments. You can collect patient credit cards securely through your intake form or at the time of booking with an online booking payment policy. This can also help reduce no-shows in your practice. It's a win-win. And Jane's unlimited SMS and email reminders can be sent automatically before each appointment as an extra layer of no-show protection. To learn more about how Jane's helpful features can help you power your acupuncture practice, head to jane.app to book a one-on-one demo with a member of their team. Or if you're ready to get started, head on over to accusprout.com forward slash Jane. And remember to use the code accusprout1mo at the time of sign up to get a one-month grace period applied to your new account. There's something else, Stacey, that you talk about that I think is important where you're asking the listeners to sit down and do like a design of what they believe that their practice should look like. The only thing I want to add into that is, guys, be okay scrapping everything as you learn more about yourself. You might think, oh, I really want to go into a practice and collaborate and do all these things. And you may do that and find out it's not a fit for you. 
Sometimes we don't know ourselves till we actually experience that thing. So it's really good to plan, and it's also good to let the plan go when it's necessary so you can adapt. Hey, Sprouts. Welcome back to the show. Before we get into today's episode, I want to ask a favor from you. I started this podcast almost three years ago now when I was a new practitioner navigating starting a business in the pandemic and failing in business in the pandemic. One of the challenges that I have with growing this podcast is that the algorithms don't actually pick this podcast up in searches. All of the growth that my podcast has had, it has been quite organic. In other words, you can find me on iTunes, but if you search me on Spotify for acupuncture podcasts, sometimes it will really pop up. The algorithms don't grab. And I've done everything that I could do with the SEO. So all of my growth has been me on social media and you guys. The way that it has grown is because of you. Every time you guys share it on Facebook or share it in social media, it helps the AccuSprout podcast grow. And it's because of that that I'm able to keep doing it. So my ask today is if you appreciate the AccuSprout podcast, if you appreciate any episode in particular, can you please send it to one of your colleagues who may also benefit from listening to the podcast? It would be amazing if you're a student if you could tell your business teacher about the podcast, because I think that's where it needs to be shared is in that class to students so that you have a resource when you get out. Okay. Now, in today's episode, I'm speaking with Megan Lindsay. Megan is a not so new practitioner, but she did something quite miraculous straight out of the gates. And she wants to share what she learned. Megan purchased a pretty busy practice. It was a solo practice. And she contacted me and wanted to come on and share that experience with you. And you're going to love this episode because Megan is a natural podcaster. And if you do enjoy Megan, we have another episode coming up where we talk about how to go from treating one patient an hour to multiple patients an hour in multiple treatment rooms. So she's going to give us the step-by-step on that because she, when she bought this practice, she went from zero to 55 patients a week. Okay. I hope you enjoy this episode. So welcome to the show, Megan. Thank you for having me. First of all, I just want to thank you because the mission of my podcast is to create a community, a supportive network for new practitioners and In doing that, you actually reached out to me and asked me if you could share this great information that would be in support of the new practitioners. So thank you so much for reaching out. And I'm kind of super excited because I think you're going to teach me some stuff too. Okay, I hope so. I hope I can help in any way, honestly. Why don't you tell us what you're going to talk about, what you want to teach us? Sure. So... I love your podcast. I want to say that I know you make it for new practitioners, but as a practitioner who's been practicing for seven years, I find so much value in everything that you talk about. And all of the speakers are incredible. So thank you for offering this to everybody. I was inspired to reach out to you because I ended up buying a practice from an acupuncturist who retired. And I did that almost immediately didn't practice in any other way but that. 
And I wanted to share with new graduates that this is an avenue you can go down. And I wanted to give any tips and tricks that I learned along the way because there was a lot. There was absolutely a lot. And it's a viable option for a profitable practice. Awesome. Thank you so much. This is such an option. And I'm excited because I see people talking about buying practices all the time. And I have interviewed Marianne Jenis. I can't remember the number of the episode, but she's been in every facet of owning a business. She was even a contractor at one point, and it was really beneficial, but that wasn't the focus. It wasn't the focus as a new practitioner. It was just a general overall reaching talk. And so before we get into this, I want to learn a little bit about you. So tell me what prompted you to learn to become an acupuncturist. Oh, man, how much time do we have? I feel like every single thing that happened to me in my life led me to that point. And when I got to that point and I walked into the acupuncture school that I went to, I knew I was in the right place at the right time. And I think a lot of people have that experience. I experienced acupuncture when I was in my early 20s. I was a manager of a movie animal ranch, and I was trying to get more money for my cleaners. We housed and kept movie animals when they were filming or when they weren't filming. So it was a very, very interesting experience. But I had cleaners and I kept losing my cleaners over and over. So I was trying to talk to management, get more pay. They said, you guys don't need more pay. You have great insurance. They even have acupuncture coverage. And I was like, acupuncture? Who gives a crap about that? What is that? But in the small town that we were in, there was actually an acupuncturist. So I went to try it out and see how it was. And it literally changed my entire life for the better. And then fast forward, I was at that time trying to get my bachelor's in psychology because I wanted to be a therapist. Fast forward years later, I was disillusioned, didn't want to do that anymore, frustrated, annoyed, and taking kind of a gap year, not knowing what to do, floundering. And a good friend of mine said to me, why don't you be an acupuncturist? You're talking about it all the time. You tell everybody about it. I said, wait, I can do that? I can go to school to be an acupuncturist? And that started the journey and had me call the school. And I'm here now. You know, it was a very interesting experience. That's awesome. I always find it fascinating how sometimes we don't even hear ourselves until someone reflects it back to us. I process verbally often, too. Sometimes I'm just like, I call a friend. I'm like, I just need to talk so that I know what's going on in my own head because I can talk to myself all day and I still don't get it. As soon as you start telling somebody, you're like, oh, so that really was bothering me. Okay, what a great story. So you graduated in 2014. I think I was finished. And then I got licensed spring 2015. And then what led you to purchasing a practice? My husband and I were living in a place where I knew I didn't want to stay, and we were kind of bouncing around the idea of leaving and moving. But my husband works for L.A. County, so we were kind of stuck and we were kind of limited at how far we could go. So once I got licensed, it took basically an entire year to close down our house, go through all our things, start looking for a new place to live, selling our house and then moving and setting up a new house. And we moved down to San Diego, which was the best decision we ever made. And when I got here, I was trying to start my own practice. I never thought really of working for someone else. That was just one of those things that was never in my mind. 
which is funny thinking back on it. So here I was trying to start my own business, hitting wall after wall after wall that I couldn't control, even going as far as stepping out of my comfort zone because I have quite a money wound, you know, and the scarcity mindset is very there for me. It's something I've always worked on. And even pushing out of my comfort zones being like, okay, well, I'll take out a loan to start the practice from the ground up. And then having the paperwork go through and then find out that the practice area that I wanted is not zoned for medical. So then I was, you know, fist to the skies, shouting like, I'm doing everything. Why are you not helping me? What is going on? What am I doing wrong? And then a good friend of mine contacted me and said, hey, are you still looking for an acupuncture practice? And I was like, yeah, totally. And she's like, would you think about buying one? And I was like, no, I've never thought of that before. But because this information came from a friend of mine who's kind of a manifester, she's amazing, this little spark went off in my head and it was like, well, just consider it. Why not just consider it? And that's how I ended up considering it. And I contacted the woman and I'm sure we'll talk a little bit more about that. But yeah, that's how I got there. So can you back up a little bit And can we talk a little bit about the things that you tried? Because I love jumping forward to the success. You know what I mean? That's always fun. But most of my listeners are going from studenthood to practice. And I think that what is not spoken about often is that those first five years, those first four years, sometimes for people, it's just too. But gosh, I finally was able to like think again after two. I mean, I really had to heal. And I'm not the only one. I know that's that's pretty much everybody's. They'll tell you it takes two years to heal from school. But anyway, let's talk about what you tried and what didn't work. Because I also think that that is part of the process. The struggle of that is actually part of the process. And if you don't give up, then you have an amazing skill set by the time you're planted in the right place and things work. I think that's actually the value of school as well, is that you're torn down to nothing and you have to rebuild and then you're torn down to nothing and you have to rebuild and that process continues happening. It's like it's alchemy. It's like true alchemy to become the healer that you're meant to be. So it did take me two years from the time I got licensed to when I bought the practice. It was almost exactly two years. And I at first went in to see an acupuncturist. He was Korean. He wanted me to apprentice with him. I thought it was a fantastic opportunity. Turned out I was wrong. American culture and Korean culture do not equate. They don't mix very well. So I ended up being very unintentionally disrespectful to this person. And that made me feel so uncomfortable because the last thing I wanted to do was be disrespectful or viewed as disrespectful. I found out after the fact in talking to his American-born daughter that she knew that it wouldn't work out, even like in an idealistic way, it would have been great. But he was just so set in his traditional ways that everything about me was offensive. So I tried that for maybe a couple of months. And then I tried renting a room from a chiropractor and it was going to be this great opportunity. He was wonderful, but the whole time I was there, I wasn't getting any patience. And that was a weird experience because... He was selling me to his patients, saying you should try it, but the environment wasn't set up for me either. I had to bring my stuff back and forth every day. His space was limited, so I never really got into a groove or could fit in very well. He had massage therapists who rented from him, 
And you could tell that they had a little bit of a, like a, what's the word I'm looking for? They were protective of their space, you know, like, this is my room. Territorial. They were territorial. That's the word I need. Yes. Oh, they were so territorial. And I thought, oh, this isn't a nice environment. I'm like a very loving and supportive person. So that didn't work out. Then I tried to open my own practice. And that's when I ran into the issue with zoning. And I had to go all the way to City Hall and do a bunch of research. I mean, it was a lot. And in the meantime, like you said many times before, you're exhausted from school, you're healing, you're kind of reconstructing yourself, but you're confused about the direction you're going to go in because you don't have answers yet. You don't have answers and you're having to keep faith that everything's going to be okay. And someday you'll be able to pay off your student loans, right? Someday you'll be able to make the payments on those things. So it is a lot of having to connect deeply into yourself and ground yourself and have faith that it will work out. And guys that are listening, please, it works out. You're amazing. You got through school already. So I promise this stuff is hard, but it does land into place after the fact. And it happens in exactly like divine timing or something. Thank you for that. This was my biggest surprise. This was my totally, and I talk about this all the time. I just produced an episode, so it's out already, and it's about patient retention. And you just, you're just ticking off the boxes right now because the first one was the thing that you need to consider is you. Where are you? How are you? What's going on in your life? Are you surrounded by great community? Are you supported? Are you choosing a space that is good for you? You're going through every single one of them, like being in a space where you're, where you accidentally are. It's just a cultural mishap, nothing intended poorly by either side, probably. And then two, being surrounded surrounded by people who are toxic, you know, and then just continuing because you're learning resilience. I, I say this all the time too. I love marketing and I love collaborating with people and I love networking and my feelers get hurt all the time because I'll call somebody or try and get together with another acupuncturist and they could care less or they don't want to collaborate or they're too busy or honestly, most of the time people just don't care like they're busy. And then I get all hurt. And then I'm like, but wait, the key to getting through that is really no just means maybe not right now. No can mean later. My life mantra, when I first listened to your podcast, you said that. And I was like, oh, I'm listening to every single one of her podcasts. I needed to hear that so desperately at the time that I heard it. And I literally just said it to a patient yesterday. I said, maybe the answer is no or not right now. And there's something else, Stacey, that you talk about that I think is important where you're asking the listeners to sit down and do like a design of what they believe that their practice should look like. The only thing I want to add into that is, guys, be okay scrapping everything as you learn more about yourself. You might think, oh, I really want to go into a practice and collaborate and do all these things. And you may do that and find out it's not a fit for you. Sometimes we don't know ourselves till we actually experience that thing. So it's really good to plan, and it's also good to let the plan go when it's necessary so you can adapt. We change throughout our lives. So what's good for us now may not be good for us in five years. We have to adapt, I think, to survive. I think that was amazingly said, and I totally agree with that. I'm like, choosing it. Pick three things or three styles that you want to treat. It's really, for me, like that's more about... 
algorithms and computer systems and websites and marketing because that's the world we live in now. And you can always change it, but you have to start somewhere. So you've got to create a little bubble with which to build around. And yes, pop the bubble, move on. I started with facial rejuvenation and I couldn't stand it. I love it. It's amazing. The clientele, they're not my people. Just not going to work for me and my happiness. So I recently shifted my thinking around this because I'm sitting at year five now. And if you listen to the podcast, you'll see the genesis of my evolution as a new practitioner as well. I lived in a place where I just, I just never clicked there. So I moved last October. Now I'm back in Boise, which is where I was from before I started school. I lived here for 20 plus years, had a great massage career. I have network. I have community. I have support. I have friends and all of these things. I built a very strong professional network when I was here the first time. So those people are like, Oh my gosh, you're back and you're doing this thing. So. I'm gliding, honestly. But I have this experience, like this opportunity up here to actually work for somebody else. So I'm doing both things right now. I'm doing the podcast and then I've got my own clinic and then I'm starting to work at what's called the Emergency Responder Health Clinic, which is a Western medical clinic proactively working with emergency responders, knowing that they typically have heart problems. The doc was a, an emergency room doc who was asked to start this amazing program. And so they're bringing in me and I'm super excited about it. And I'm also very nervous and I'm typically not a group person. And I'm really at this point in my life where I want to learn how to be a group person and get along with other people. And I'm fascinated by Western medicine, but also don't want them to restrict me in my practice and what I can do. So it's this balance that I'm continually walking and I actually start treating patients next week. And I'm really unsure about this. I'm totally unsure about this because of what you just said. So my approach to this is actually, and what I've been saying is, I just want this experience. Yes. That's all. I just want this experience. I do not know how could I possibly know how it's going to turn out. I really don't. But I want this experience. I also know whether I stay there one or two years, it's going to launch my practice anyway, like my own. If I decide to leave after two years and start my own practice and really focus on my own practice, it's going to be huge because I did this thing. But I really just want the experience. I think that if you could graduate and move through the first couple of years and just say, I'm just going to try this experience and learn and see what happens. Yeah, I, I like that a lot. And I connect with that a lot. I think we can tend to look at things that we've tried as failures. And like everyone needs to take that word out of their mind. They're not failing. You're not failing at anything. You're cultivating and honing down the picture of you. And all of those experience help to create that over time. If everything went perfect, you would find nothing about yourself. You'd find nothing out about yourself. It's the process of learning and doing and moving and experiencing that helps us to know ourselves better. And I think that's a process that should never stop, ever. Yeah, and to be kind and gentle and soft and forgiving with yourself. So let's talk about... Your friend introduced you to somebody who was selling their acupuncture practice. So what happened? It was actually a crazy story because a friend of mine was moving and I was helping her move from Nevada up to Oregon. And the day that I found out about the practice being for sale, I called the practitioner and I said, hey, I just found out you might be selling. Maybe we should set up a meeting. And she literally said, yeah, come right now. Come in right now. I just had a cancellation. I can see you right now. And I was like, whoa wait a minute, 
I was just kind of barely feeling this out. This is now happening a little too fast. And my friend is on her way to my house right now, and we're about to go on a road trip for a week. So I said, I'm about to go on a road trip. Maybe I can come back in about a week and we can meet up. And she said, no, I recommend you come now. I have other people interested. And so she put a little bit of fire under my ass. And <laughs> I I have to quick go on Google, look up where this practice is. It's 25 minutes from me. All right, let's do it. So I went down and I met her. And the same experience I had when I first walked into acupuncture school, I had when I walked into her practice. I knew for better or for worse, this is where I need to be right now. So the answer was never a no or a maybe or am I making the right decision? It was a firm yes from a place so deep inside of me that there was no arguing my way out of it. So even though I'd never considered it and I didn't know fully what I was getting myself into, I knew based on my gut reaction that it would work itself out. And that happened in that way. I love it when that stuff happens. It is so rare, but I guess that's why. If it happened all the time, it wouldn't be like a lightning bolt, would it? <laughs> no, exactly. It'd be like your morning coffee. Exactly. <laughs> we wouldn't be able to see the forest for the trees, you know? Yeah. It's Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Do you remember what it was? I mean, do you remember what struck you or did she have it decorated like your living room? Like, was it all your colors and stuff? No, oh. no, gosh, no. And over the years, I've changed everything, which, guys, if you're going to buy a practice, I have so many tips and tricks. And one of them is to leave it unchanged for a year to a year and a half because the patients are already going to be going through a bunch of stress and you don't mm -hmm. want to run in and rip everything apart and redecorate. It needs to be a slow, gentle easing of changing things to who you are. You just want to leave everything the way it is for the patient's sake. It's not about you in that time frame. It's about them. So we can chat about that a little bit later if you want. I think to answer your question, one of my gifts that I am born with is that I do have strong gut reactions. And I've been lucky enough even through all the crazy traumas of my life, that I still trust that part of myself and I hear it really well. I think that's something other people have to cultivate over years and learn to get in touch with their intuition. But for me, it comes very naturally. So the times where that voice was so loud, I heard it and then I didn't question it. But that might just be something that is a gift of mine that I was born with or something because I do hear other feedback from others that it's not that easy for them. There's more questioning that goes on. Mm -hmm. So I wish I could answer it differently, but that's all I can come to. No, that's okay. Just like you said, we all have different experiences. Yeah. It's very different for all of us. Where I'm sitting at right now was this is the job that I wanted in 2017 when I graduated. I came back to Boise and tried to get this job and I couldn't. He wouldn't answer my emails. Then I decided to move back and my friend's a firefighter. And he was like, oh, I'm going to talk to Dr. Hilvers for you and I'm going to get you that job. There you go. Gosh, wow. Amazing. Yeah. And now I'm like scared and nervous and I have all the feelings. But back to that, I keep telling myself, no, you created this. You created this. You wanted this. Mm -hmm. You created this and you wanted this. And you don't know where it's going to go and what's going to happen. But you created it. Even though you have all the feelings, you're just going to trust the process. Yeah. You're not going to freak out and sabotage anything. You're on the path. Just trust it. Yeah. Every single billionaire that is in existence has bankrupted multiple times. That's yeah. something that's really nice to know. 
They didn't walk <laughs> in and just, oh, wow, everything was so magical and it went perfect and now I'm successful. No, that's not how success works. Success works by crashing and burning, picking yourself up from the ashes and starting again with the lessons that you learned. I think success can be defined as someone who never stops trying. You know, it's like failure comes when something slaps you in the face or knocks you down and then you decide not to get back up. And things are not meant to be perfect, especially for new practitioners. It's an incredible learning time. You're decompressing what happened to you in school, reorganizing everything on a soul level, on a mental level, on an emotional, physical, every single level of your being is reorganizing itself and will continue to do so for many years after school. I had a teacher in school say to me once, you are going to want nothing to do with Chinese medicine when you're done with school. Leave those books on the shelf. At about year five, you're going to want to pick those books back up and revisit the medicine with the same passion you had when you first started school. And I thought at the time, no way, I will always love this. No, he was absolutely correct. I wanted nothing to do with the medicine. It was almost like this thing that causes you so much trauma. You almost have an aversion to it. And then you kind of settle in and you realize, oh, no, this is this is where my passion is. This is what I love. But you don't have the mental capacity to do that immediately after school. And you're so distracted with so many other things and learning things that you weren't taught that you don't know anything about. Talk about business, marketing, technology, and technology is changing so quickly that you learn one thing and it was challenging to learn. And now you have to do something else. And when you're an intuitive person and a healer by nature, having to force yourself into these pockets of existence, oh, now I have to learn about business and technology. That's not who we are, but we still have to do it. Yeah, it's amazing. I just want all the listeners to know, don't view your setbacks as failures. They're not failures at all. No, it's just part of the path. It's yeah. truly just part of the path. Yeah. All right. So let's keep going. Tell us what's next. Oh, man. Okay. So I swear this could be like a three-hour podcast if I keep doing it this way. Once I made the decision to purchase the practice, things moved very quickly. I want to preface this because I'm going to be telling the story from my perspective. And I want listeners to understand that regardless of what I say about the practitioner who I bought the practice from, I deeply love and respect them for creating the thing that they created that I then got the honor to take over. But we had a lot of hiccups. And the way that it was done, the way that the transition was handled was not appropriate. And it made my life a little harder. Did I survive it? Yes. Was it still an absolutely worthwhile decision? <laughs> yes. Was the money there? Yes. The money was there big time. So that is what I do want to encourage people and say this is such a good option. And people don't have to suffer in the same way that I did if they have the information to ask for what they want have their needs met as well, and have it be cohesive. So I was so blindsided by the whole situation. When I decided to purchase the practice, the practitioner was burnt out. They wanted to go. They wanted to be gone. So start to finish, it took two weeks, two <laughs> weeks, and they were gone. And in that time frame, they also decided to sell their house so I'm having to deal with this practitioner who is completely sleep deprived, giving me no time and attention, brushing me off when I ask questions, acting like, oh, no, no, you'll figure that out. You'll figure that out because they just didn't have the mental capacity to be there with me. 
I wasn't asking them to mentor me or do any of that stuff, but they couldn't even be present in a small way. And part of that is because they set up their life to where all it was going to lead to was burnout. So some of the pieces of advice that I got from the acupuncturist, I immediately rejected. Even though this person has been a successful business owner, I rejected them immediately because I thought, no, I will not be working six and seven days a week. That's not setting up healthy boundaries. And even me not owning a business yet, I know that that's not healthy. This is why you're rushing out the door because you burnt out. You want nothing to do with your patients anymore. So there was lots of things that occurred in that time frame that looking back, get tested me, Stacy. I was tested on every single level and I wish that things could have been different. But had they been different, I wouldn't have ended up where I am now. And I'm kind of happy where I am now. I have confronted these things and it was nice to be confronted. So I know what to do better if I choose to sell my practice or I can help other acupuncturists if they want to buy a practice. So there was a lot of nuance that went on. And I'm sorry if I'm talking on and on. It's just there's so much of the story that happened that I want to be able to share pieces. So interrupt me at any point. No, no, you're good. I'm completely content. You're here to talk. I want to hear the whole story and I want all the details and the wisdom. But it sounds like what she did was, and this was a gift in hindsight, which showed you exactly who and what you did not want to be and how you did not want to be. Interestingly enough, in a newer situation, you weren't floundering because you didn't know who you were. You knew exactly who you didn't want to be. That's exactly correct. That's exactly correct. And I, when I talk about this, I'm not meaning it in a disrespectful way. At some point, there's going to be someone who listens to this who knows the acupuncturist that I'm talking about. So I don't want to be throwing anybody under the bus. She had never sold a practice either. So to be fair, she was going through this major life transition and I was going through a major life transition and we came together and collided. And from that experience, I imagine she looking back would maybe do things differently. And she did, to her credit, she didn't just accept the first offer. She really did care to put a practitioner in her office with her patients that she felt would connect with them in the way that she connects with them. So I'm very grateful to her for that. Absolutely. So the whole sale went through in two weeks, all the transition. You went from her treating people on the books and her telling people that she just sold the practice to you walking in the door. Yes. Okay, Stacy. yes. So here's where a couple of these things went wrong. And this is my perspective of what happened. She didn't want to deal with the emotional backlash of telling her patients that she's treated for 30 years that she was leaving because it's very emotionally heavy for patients. And obviously it was emotionally heavy for her. She had defined her entire worth around her career, around her business. And then she was deconstructing that. And I think it was just a very tender time for her so in her avoidance, she did a couple of things that were not appropriate, not only to the patients, but to herself or to me. And that is she didn't give them enough notice. So in those two weeks, we're going through the paperwork, we're getting any lending that needs to happen. I'm having to renegotiate a lease, but I have no sway because it's happening in two weeks. So there's no bargaining and there's no anything with the lease and the management company. Everything was just happening too quickly to be beneficial for me. And then patients were coming in, I mean, very emotional and very porous with gifts and wanting to say goodbye to her, this person who mattered so much to them there for the birth of their children through deaths, through marriages, because that's what an acupuncturist ends up being. 
is this person who holds space for you for your entire life through all the good and all the bad. So it's it's a deep connection that we have with our patients. We're so lucky to have it. But you have to be managing these things a little bit better. And so you can't just run out the door at the end. You know, it's it's just not supposed to happen that way. So instead of getting that one-on-one time that I could tell they're walking the door, they're blindsided, they look like deer in headlights, and then they're looking over at me and all their feelings of frustration and anger about her leaving are now being directed at me because now I'm the bad guy. I'm the one who's forcing her out. And I say that because I got that feedback from multiple patients after she left. They said, I didn't want to come see you. I blamed you for her leaving. And I am only here right now because it's an emergency and I don't have anyone else yet. So I can say that I got that feedback. That's not just a story I was making up in my mind. People were really upset with me. And I felt like if it was done a little slower, if the process happened a little better, it would have been more beneficial for all parties involved. They don't want their last experience with their acupuncturist to be with this brand new stranger in the room that they don't know. They want to spend alone time with her. And because it happened so fast, they didn't get any alone time with her. So that was one of the hiccups that we hit, definitely. But one of the challenges with selling a practice, I'm going to devil's advocate and you already know what I'm going to say because you've thought about this for so long, I'm sure. When you're selling a practice, you can't really tell your patients that you're leaving because you don't know how long it's going to take. You can create a longer transition once it's sold, right? I agree with that. But you can't tell people when it's up for sale because they'll start shopping around and finding somebody else. I did this with my massage practice, so I know this happens. I thought I was going to acupuncture school and I interviewed at AOMA. I interviewed in Austin and I started telling my people that I was leaving and they left. They went and found another massage therapist and I got accepted to AOMA, but I didn't want to go. And so I started interviewing with other schools, but I lost a lot of people because I had talked about it. No matter what, patients will feel abandoned. They'll feel like you're leaving them. And we do have a legal obligation. That's actually where I thought you were going to go with it, is that we actually have a legal obligation to not abandon our patient and to give them enough notice. So we can't rush out the door and leave them. But I do understand what you're saying. I think that it depends on the practitioner as well. So the practitioner I purchased from, she had lifelong patients. If she told them, they would go through their emotional ups and downs, but they never would have left her. They would have stayed with her till the very bitter end. There's always going to be a percentage of patients that are not bonded and they will leave. And there's going to be a percentage of patients that will stay regardless. It doesn't matter. You do have to weigh it out. Like, what kind of practitioner are you? And if you're in a more like work comp clinic and it's very like in and out and it's not super bonded and you spend 15 minutes with an acupuncturist and they can be interchangeable, then I don't think it would matter. But if you have a practice like she had where there was that intimate connection between her and her patients, I think it almost caused a bit of trauma when she decided to leave. Yeah, it's kind of sad. It is pretty sad. Damned if you do, damned if you don't. You know what I mean? I think the sweet spot is, is if you're going to sell your practice, then post that you're going to sell, you know, try to sell your practice. Don't tell your patients, but have this transition period where you do tell your patients, they do get to come in and you transition over a month or two so that they can say goodbye, so that you can have closure, so that the new person coming in can be highlighted. Just meeting them. Yes, exactly. Meet them. 
Oh my gosh, you triggered a memory for me, actually. A lot of my patients that did stay, the ones that I retained, gave me the feedback that they knew something was up with her for probably about a year before she left. Because patients are very intuitive too. They know you, you know, as well as you know them, they know you. So I had so many patients say, oh, I knew this was coming. I could feel her disconnect after she went on this particular vacation. So a lot of them already knew something was rumbling around. It didn't come as a shock to them. And there was a lot of them that were very supportive because they knew that she wasn't getting to live a life that she wanted to live because she was at work all the time. So a lot of them were very supportive. Good for you. You worked 30 years. That's a lot. That is a lot. That's a lot of energy. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So a rough handoff. What next? You did really well financially the first year. We talked about that when you were telling me how this all went. Yeah. Let's talk about money. Let's talk about money. Okay. Practitioners that are out there, especially those with a money wound, you will make money. You can make money. The money is there. I know when someone says that, you almost dismiss it, but it's true. So I'm going to be very crass and just I'm going to say actual numbers so that people can understand. I made $220,000 in the first year that I took over the practice. And that's with the patients I was able to retain. You don't get 100% retention rates. But Mm -hmm. I made so much money in my first year, I was blown away, shocked. And there are a couple things went into play with that. The practitioner I bought from was way undercharging for her services. She lowered her prices during the recession and never raised them back up. So I also was undercharging for my services But the acupuncturist did all her own insurance billing, and she just hated the back and forth with the insurance companies. So she was also billing for the bare minimum. She wouldn't even bill for what she was doing. She would bill for one unit, one insertion of acupuncture, and that was it. Even though she did heat lamp, and she did tweena, and she did cold laser, and she did all these things, she was not billing for those things. I'm still just barely getting a good handle on it. And I finally do it all myself. But for many years, I had an insurance billing company help me and they were able to bill. And I made more money than the previous acupuncturist just because she was undervaluing herself and undercharging and underbilling insurance. So those little things that I was able to implement were great. And now, fast forward five years, I finally raised my rates up to where they should be, somewhere more along market standard. And that was mm-hmm. a little bit of pulling teeth. So guys, if you're going to buy a practice, try to find and make sure that the acupuncturist who is selling the practice has rates similar to what you believe that your rates should be. And if they aren't there, have that acupuncturist raise their rates first before that falls. Because that's going to irritate patients too. So many things are changing and they're going to be thinking to themselves, my acupuncturist who did this for 30 years charged X amount and who are you to charge this? Patients sometimes don't consider inflation and they don't consider all that stuff. And I looked around and I always look around at practices for sale because I think it's fascinating. And sometimes I think, oh, I'll buy another practice from a retiring acupuncturist. And so I get to see what the rates are and what people charge. There's definitely a lot of room there for things to be a little smoother than they were for me. But yeah, the money was there. I made the money. And I think that's just a fantastic thing. My goal, and I shot very low, was I want to be able to pay my student loan payments in full and keep my business afloat. That's all. That's all I'm asking. That's all I want. And in the first year of buying the practice, I did that. 
I made that. And then some. And then because of that, I was able to be like, okay, well, now I want to make a profit. You know what I mean? It's just crazy the process that goes on in the mind. But the money was there and it really shocked me because all through school, you're just living on a prayer, living on a prayer, living on a prayer. And then eventually things fall into place and it is possible. Okay. So tell me 220, 200, what did you say? $220,000. Yeah. That's gross. Yeah. Right? So it's not take home. You're in San Diego. So your overhead's a bit high. Yes. And the overhead here has actually just gotten ridiculous. I would say since COVID, honestly, the inflation has just gone up and up and up in a crazy way. But where my business is, my rent for my space is not necessarily too much. One of the benefits of buying a practice from someone who's been in a space for a long time is that you can keep the same lease rate if you're buying that practice. Whereas depending on the market, that may be very beneficial for you. And it was yeah. beneficial for me because if they got in a new tenant, a brand new tenant, they could have charged so much more. Yeah, absolutely. And then also, how many rooms were you running that first year? Three. So I have three rooms. My pace is two patients per hour. But sometimes I'll have a patient instead of two or there's some hours where you have none. So it breaks up differently than that. But at my ideal pace that I move at is two patients an hour. I'm going to ask you a personal financial goal because I've really been thinking about this because I'm going to work for somebody else. So obviously I'm working on a percentage and I'm like, oh, this is tough because I'm a solo practitioner. I like my money, you know. So I'm like, well, I'll set a financial goal. And I sort of have this financial goal of making at least 100 to $150 an hour. That's my own personal goal. That's working with them. And that's going to take a bit to get there because I'm also building there. Do you do this? Do you have a number in your head of what you want to average per hour? I think about this every once in a while. Listening to your podcast, I rethought about this. And then I raised my rates as I should have. <laughs> Listen Good. to Stacy, you guys. Listen <laughs> to Stacy. She tells the truth. Are we talking like a real ideal? <laughs> Are we talking a fantasy ideal or like practical ideal? Like there's other ways to make money other than just treating patients, right? We're just specifically talking about treating patients. So what's your what's your treatment number? And the, my treatment number there, so that's not in my private practice. My treatment number there is 100 to 150 an hour. And that's with everybody. I don't have to bill insurance. I don't have to do anything. They buy all my supplies. I have zero overhead there. Like I do nothing. I don't even do my own laundry. Oh my God, you guys, somebody else is going to wash my cups. Yes. <laughs> oh, that is a dream come true. <laughs> yes. So, I mean, I'm hoping because I'm also starting that practice, they're going to refer to me. So it's going to be a little bit of a start, but I'm hoping to make $100 an hour there within three months. Mm, that's amazing. Yeah. I think mine, maybe I'm like, I want $1,000 a day. Whatever it okay. is, I, I want to have $1,000 a day. And that's keeping in mind that I'm not an A-type entrepreneur. I definitely have a live-work balance. And that's something that I need for my own sanity. So I work three days a week. Yay, okay. being a business owner, right? And so yeah. I do have opportunity to feel out and make money in other ways if I choose to. Opportunity is absolutely there to do more than that because I could easily double what I make even currently 
if I choose to expand and work more. But work and money is not necessarily the thing that drives me or keeps me interested. I wish it was. It just isn't. So I think $1,000 a day is a nice rounded number for me. $3,000 a week, a kind of cruising place. But if I could have a fantasy of like, oh, I would like to make X amount per hour, it'd be amazing to make about maybe $300 to $400 per hour. But it's a give and take where you'd be cutting out certain patients, you know, and I know that this is something that all acupuncturists have to deal with, right? Where if you overprice yourself, you're only getting a certain demographic of the community that already gets everything. But I also think that if you allow yourself to have those patients, you have more of a capacity to volunteer or cut rates for the seniors who are on a budget or the one-income household people. It's tricky. It's tricky. Let's talk about this moral dilemma for a moment, because I think that a lot of us have it and there's a lot of guilt around making a bunch of money and not serving an underserved population. I think with that, you really, you have to look at where you are in life. Me personally, I'm not in a great spot. I'm 50. I don't have a lot of assets. I'm a little bit of a me first in a me first situation right now because I have some what I feel like is catching up. That feels a little bit disempowering, but I have some goals, some really strong financial goals. And so I do have to have a little bit of a me first, right? And so my private practice is geared towards athletes who spend $10,000 on their bicycles, you know? Yep. The other thing that I think practitioners need to know, A, one, it's okay to go for the money. It's okay to go for that population. If you want to give to the community, if you want to give something like that, making that amount of money, like you just said, Megan, it allows you the opportunity to give in other ways. Yes. Right. You can work one day a week at a free clinic. I also really want to point out here to practitioners, acupuncture isn't something that you have to give away. You can have a high volume, high income practice and you can go do your philanthropy in other ways. You can take that big chunk of money and create scholarships for free clinics. Like you can do so many things. You don't actually have to expend your doctor energy life force towards everything, right? Yeah, it doesn't make you a bad person. Yes, exactly, exactly. You can contribute to the community in other ways. You don't have to do it through your practice. Yes, for all these bleeding hearts. And it's like, well, you have to stop that wound. Otherwise, you will burn out, which is what happened to the acupuncturist who I bought from. She had nothing left to give at the end of the day. And what that ends up taking is from you. And I like that you're saying that you're putting you first. I am in the privileged position that my husband has a job that will pay for our rent and our bills and give us insurance and save a little bit of a pension for the future. I happen to be with someone and that's how our lives have worked out. The woman I bought my practice from, she always took care of herself. So of course she worked six days a week and seven days a week. She had to work that much to pay all of her own bills as a single woman, as a single person. So her motivations were much different than my motivations. So I get the privilege to say, I want to work three days a week. But if I didn't have my husband's income, then I wouldn't have necessarily the space to make that choice. And I'd have to reassess. And there would be a lot that would have to go on. And I do like that you talk about charging what you're worth, basically. My husband likes to say, people have the money. 
it, the money is there. They spend that money on Starbucks and eating out and things they don't need. People have money. Even when they're poor, they have money. It's what they're choosing to spend that money on. So we should not be devaluing ourselves because health is the most important thing in your life. And of all things, people should be prioritizing their health. And I think it's fair for us to charge what we're worth. You don't see doctors lowering their rates or dentists. Let's talk about dentists. Every dime that they bill to that insurance, they will put it back on their patients if they don't get paid. And they have no qualms about that. I don't really understand this wounding that acupuncturists have where we have to be giving of ourselves all the time. And if we're not, we're somehow bad people. No, make money, you guys. Make money. It's your life. That was really powerful. I do want to acknowledge the people who are running the community clinics that are doing these practices in service of people who really, really need a hand up, because I do want to acknowledge that that is there. But I'm going to flip it and I'm going to say there are ways to make amazing money treating all of those people too. You just have to figure it out. So you made lots of money. What else do you want to teach us? You know, I went over and over this in my mind, like in the space in between doing the podcast and talking to you about doing the podcast. And I feel like at the time, so many good things came up. But when I'm asked the question, it's like, oh, uh, mind blanking. Well, let's talk about this. You said that you hired somebody to do your insurance and now you're choosing to do insurance on your own. I find that interesting because insurance typically only takes 10%. seems like that might be worth it to keep the insurance billers. So why are you now choosing to do it on your own? If the insurance biller does a good job, which I'm going to say I had the lovely experience of having an insurance biller that did not do a good job. So I spent a lot of time frustrated and confused. And I reached out to Maury West. And I think everybody probably knows the name Maury West, right? And I was bitching and complaining and saying, oh, this happened to me. Will you take me on? She came back at me and said, how many patients do you see? How many do you want to see? How many of them are insurance? And I answered and she said, nope, I don't want to take you on as a client. It's not worthwhile to me, which I was immediately insulted by. And then <laughs> like, how dare you say that to me? You know what I mean? And That's then, Maury. Yes. And she is fabulous. She is such a fantastic person to learn from. Some of the things she says are so direct gut punches that you have to really sit with yourself and be honest and be like, wow, okay, she's not wrong here, but she's wrong. How dare she say that to me? You know? And then she said, you basically have your head in the sand is what she was saying. She said, you're having money problems because of you. This is a you problem. This is not that insurance biller's problem. You need to know how to do this for yourself. Otherwise, you're just going to keep getting taken advantage of. And she had this really harsh talk with me and I came right back at her like, when I go to a restaurant, Maury, I'm not in there becoming a chef in the kitchen. I'm trusting the chef is doing the job that I'm paying them for. You're telling me that I need to know how to do this. If I knew how to do it, then I wouldn't need the insurance biller. And she said, keep deflecting all you want. You need to know how to do it so that you know how to manage the people who are doing that job for you. You cannot give up your power to someone else and then complain about it when things go wrong. 
And these things that she said, and sometimes they take years, and I've saved her emails and many other people that have been instrumental in me becoming a better practitioner and business owner. A lot of the things that are hard to hear are the ones that matter the most. So I've saved these emails and I go back and I visit them sometimes because she was absolutely correct. Is it hard to do the insurance billing? Yes. Is it better to pay someone else to do it? Yes. Do you still need to know how to do insurance billing? Yes. Because you don't know that liability is on you. At the end of the day, if the insurance biller is doing something wrong and you're just completely oblivious, it still falls on you if you get audited and things come down the pike. So after being frustrated with the insurance billers I had and then getting that experience with Maury where I felt victimized, you know, we love to victimize ourselves. Then I came to a place of being empowered and thinking, okay, this is frustrating to me. I have to figure it out. And certain things helped me along the way. The fact that electronic health records programs, the one I use integrates Office Ally very easily, which made that less daunting for me. There was lots of things that I put in place to help. And it's still confusing sometimes. It's a very weird system, but I do have more of a handle on it now than I ever did. And sometimes it's challenging to look back on the past and see how much money you've lost because you are putting your head in the sand about something. And you're just like, oh, like how many free treatments I've given because I didn't follow up with the insurance companies in the way that they asked me to, because it just seemed like too much at the time. And then when I sat down with the same piece of paper years later, I realized, oh, all I had to do was fax over this piece of paper. That's not that big of a deal. But I had created it to be this demon, you know, this uh, unslayable demon. And in my practice, when I first started, I would say that it was probably 70% insurance patients. And that's another in, you guys. If the practitioner treats work comp patients or they're in with the VA, you kind of get an in to some of these areas that are actually challenging to penetrate because you're jumping on the back of that acupuncturist and they've already set the path in place. So that was really nice for me in a lot of ways, but I didn't know how to do any of the insurance billing. And I have all these work comp cases and it was just really incredibly challenging. And I was saying I had 70% insurance patients when I first started. And because I wasn't good at the insurance stuff, I purposely chose to whittle that down. And then at some point, I crossed over and I had probably 70% cash patients and very little insurance patients. And now in the past year or so, I've gone back the other direction. So I've swung from more insurance than cash to more cash than insurance to coming somewhere back nice in the middle where it's maybe about 50-50. And it's really important. The insurance is really important because there are insurance companies that reimburse us very well. And I don't even want to say, well, they reimburse us where we deserve to be reimbursed. And so the cash patients and the insurance patients will end up balancing out. So not a lot of people are going to be comfortable doing the insurance. And if people listening don't want to, don't force yourself to do it if you don't want to. Just know that it is a viable option if you want to make a little more money and it balances out over time. How was the price calculated, the price of the practice calculated? Oh, man, I want to make a plug for somebody. And I don't know if that's appropriate to do, but I looked into buying another practice a couple of years ago. So every once in a while, I'll get a little bored or need a little stimulation. And it's either change the practice I have now or, you know, sometimes I dream outside of that and be like, oh, maybe I'll buy another practice and I'll be there a little bit and then hire acupuncture. So, you know, you fantasize and you should. Everyone should fantasize about ways that they can change or grow their practice. 
So a couple of years ago, I was looking into buying another practice and the person who was selling the two practices I was looking at was such an amazing human being and he gave me so much information and I felt like, gosh, if you want a guest for your podcast, this person would be a fantastic guest. His name is Jason Lubin and he was an acupuncturist who ended up selling his own practice I actually think he's one of the creators of the Trigram software, the original creators of the Trigram software, which is one of our first electronic health records programs. He has a website that I believe is called sellingapractice.com. And there's probably a lot of, I hope that's the correct one, because there's lots out there that may have slight differences, but I think his is sellingapractice.com. Everything you could ever want or need to know about selling or buying a practice is there. And he is such an incredibly giving resource that I got to talk on the phone with him. He gave me his time. I offered to pay for it. It was like, what you're doing right now is helping me so much. I wish I had met you years ago when I first bought my practice. So he does practice valuations and it's a whole big, long process that we probably even shouldn't tap into because he would be the person that would know better how to answer that because lots of stuff goes into valuation. And the practice that I purchased, the price she had set, she ended up dropping in half almost because she, I think, had a timeline in her mind that she wanted to be done by. And she was probably a walking zombie that past year, like trying to find the right practitioner. So she actually cut her rate really far down. But in cutting that rate really far down, it made it something that was doable for me because I couldn't dream beyond, you know, and so... There is a whole valuation process that occurs and some people sell through a broker or they will go through someone like Jason Lubin, who I think he gets paid a flat rate. So he's not out there trying to only benefit the seller. He cares about the buyer as well. And according to him, he has much better retention rates because retention rates is something you need to be concerned with when you're buying a practice. And I think that buying a practice is going to match up with certain individuals I'm the kind of person who doesn't like to sell myself. Having to be out there grinding every single day and telling people, hey, 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 come in and see me, come in and see me. The selling myself aspect of things really turns me off and I'm very off put by it. So for me, I don't have a problem retaining patients once they see me face to face because I'm charismatic enough, I'm friendly enough, I'm welcoming enough that I can retain a patient when they meet me. But having to go out into the community and sell myself is not my strong suit. It just tears me apart on the inside. And for me, especially when I was a new practitioner, I needed to have that boost of you're good enough. You're totally good enough. And so buying a practice was such a fantastic avenue for me as a personality because of that and that alone is that I didn't feel like I'm out there every single day having my self-worth just nailed at over and over and over again, you know, and that can take years. It can take years and years and years to build a practice slowly. And I honestly don't think my self-worth would have survived that. I would have shattered into a million pieces and never wanted to do this again. So I think that purchasing a practice is such a beautiful and viable option for a certain kind of personality if you can get over the hump of it's going to cost money. It's going to cost money up front. But the beautiful part about buying a practice is that you get to see the financials back five years or more if you ask, but it's common practice to go back five years. They have to show all their profits and losses and they have to be very upfront about what the practice actually makes. 
So if you see a price tag that's like, oh, $100,000, whoa, 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 oh, I already have $200,000 of student loan debt. I'm not going to take out another $100,000. That's way beyond. Sometimes it's not beyond. We just have to see and run the numbers for yourself. And if you have to take into consideration, are you a single person or do you have another income that you can count on? In what ways can you skimp and save so that dream can become a reality? Because it is worthwhile if the practice is a profitable practice and it will stay a profitable practice. It's just something where you have to kind of get over that initial hump of fear that it's going to be too expensive. The numbers are there. Run the numbers. Be very practical about it. Don't go out of your comfort zone. Like, don't extend yourself too far. If you're a person who doesn't like working too much, don't buy a work comp practice that's for sale. Because that's going to be boom, 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 six patients an hour. And you're going to burn out. Yes, the, the practice will make money, but it doesn't match you. So there's multiple different kinds of practices for sale. Because the baby boomer generation is retiring at a rapid pace, there are like 10,000 of them retiring at like almost every day or week. Some crazy statistic where I was like, whoa, because 40% of businesses are owned by baby boomer generation. And their kids and their kids' kids don't necessarily want to inherit their business. They don't want to take on their parents' business. So there is opportunity, not just for acupuncturists, but for everybody. In the very near future, buying businesses is going to be like that. Because there's these businesses that make money, and the people who own them are retiring, and they need someone to take over. So it is a very, from a business standpoint, a very smart financial decision to invest in businesses. And... You can look at any given time. Sam Reader, I think, has a website. You could look for acupuncture practices for sale. And if you're a person who's not tied down to anything and you think that you could move to certain places, just be open to it because it it is a, a wonderful thing. It's a wonderful experience. I need to do more Mindset Monday on the language around networking because your self-worth should not be attached to your networking, nor should the term selling myself come into play when you're networking. And if it does, then that's why it's so scary. But the other thing that just came out in what you said was, this thing over here is not my strong point. This thing over here is my strong point. And I know them, like I know both of them. And so here was an opportunity where I didn't even have to go do the thing that I'm weak at. And I got to really focus on what I'm good at, which by the way, when Tiger Woods was at his heyday, he never spent a lot of time on the things that he wasn't good at. So Tiger Woods is not good at getting out of the sand. And they would spend like 10% of the time on his weakness and 90% of the time on all the things that he was strong at. So there's something to be said for knowing yourself and just deciding that you're going to find a way. Or you were actually gifted. Like this thing just came up and you were like, oh, so this is perfect because I don't have to do that thing. So I do think that that's a great, if you're super introverted or you just hate that aspect, that's a good way to go. I was even thinking about introverts too. Would it be worthwhile for them to buy a practice? And I thought, yes, they should look for a practice that has friendly, affable front desk staff already working there so that they can be the practitioner and the front desk staff will stay. That would be an ideal situation. So people should go into themselves and define exactly what their strong suits are and what they don't like to do. And what you just mentioned, that was amazing because that's how the difference between private schools and public schools, like Waldorf, for instance, okay? If you're not good at math, they don't force you to be good at math. They take a child's natural talents and they encourage the natural talents. They don't yeah. then 
say you're not good at math, spend all your time doing math. And public schools are set up that way where if you're not good at something, they hammer it into you that you need to be better at it. And you never get better at it. You might be able to get better, but then the thing you were really good at doesn't get cultivated either. Even with buying a practice, there's so many different practices for sale and so many different setups available. It could fit almost any personality type as long as you know yourself. And then it can help you narrow down which practices are even worth buying or not. You're an introvert and this practice does not come with the front desk staff, then maybe don't consider that because what you need to fill in the gap for you is going to be a super friendly office manager who knows everybody by name and makes them feel warm and fuzzy when they walk in and out of the office. And then you get to be a clinician and do the technical aspect if that's your strong suit. So I think it can be manipulated, and I don't like that word, but kind of molded, let's use the word molded, to whatever you need it to be. There's all different people retiring, all different practices available, big ones, small ones, everything. And so do you have a resource where someone might be able to find practices? What are your suggestions if you're going to go look for a practice that's for sale? Yeah, the two that I know of off the top of my head are Sam Reeder. He was the broker for the woman who I bought my practice from. Mm -hmm. On his website, I'm not exactly sure what that website is, but look up Sam Reeder, Acupuncture's Practices for Sale in Google. It'll pop up. He lists out practices for sale. And then Jason Lubin's site, which I believe is sellingapractice.com, he lists out practices for sale. So that's a good starting point. And it's by area. It's by state, you know, so you don't have to be like, oh, I love this. Oh, wait, it's in Florida. You can actually go and look by state. Cool. Okay. The biggest takeaway, the thing that you're so grateful that you did this, that you made this move about, what's the thing that you're most grateful for? Oh, that's such a beautiful question. I'm going to sit with it for just one minute. Okay. I think the thing I'm most grateful for in the process of purchasing a practice is that I got to use my skills and be useful right away instead of having to wait five years. And it's because I've had to do a lot of healing work over my lifetime. And there were some areas that I I was still and still am very tender and will always be tender about for the rest of my life. I don't think I would have been able to handle repeated rejection or door slamming in my face. I think knowing myself like I know myself, I would have become very defeated and I would have felt like, wow, you really made a wrong decision. And because the decision to go to acupuncture school was a gut decision, that inner voice that tells us the true truth of what we should be doing, it would have made me question that deep knowing in myself and that would have really torn me down over time. I think that's one of the worst things that can ever happen to us is to question that deep knowing in ourselves. So for me, because I have money pressure, because I have trauma pressure, I have all these pressures on me, buying a practice, I'm so grateful that I got to be useful and find my worth through doing quickly, right away. Had to jump feet first, 50 patients a week, boom, boom, boom. So I didn't get to wallow in that negative space for too long. And I needed that momentum on every level, personally, you know, because we're not separate from our skills. We're still human beings at the end of the day. And we still have weaknesses and we still have hurts and we still have these things that we have to work on regardless of what we're doing. And I think it it helped me to heal some of those deeper wounds that I have. I'll leave it at that. Yeah, that's my answer. Thank you for that. That was heartfelt. 
Tell me the dark side. What was the biggest piece of the dark side? Was it the transition? The biggest piece of the dark side was the transition. It's going to be hard. Regardless of how practitioners start practicing, it's going to be hard. And I love that quote, choose your hard. Choose your hard. You survived acupuncture school. You got licensed. You went through your board exam. This is not going to make or break you. You will survive it. And sometimes when you're forced to do something that you think, oh my gosh, I won't be able to do this, you will get through it because there's no other option. I have to go to work. I have to treat these patients. It's like the learning curve. It's just accelerated when you buy someone else's practice. And if the transition is really, really supportive, it doesn't even have to be as hard as it was for me. But the dark side is, is that you're going to be having to spin about 12 plates and you're going to be spinning those 12 plates in the air. And some of them are going to drop and some of them are going to crash. And while those plates are dropping, you're still going to have to spin. So you'll be surprised at the strength that you have to get through challenging times. And you also will be able to pick up those plates and patch them up and do it again. Being a business owner, we wear 12 hats. That's just what we do. And if you convince yourself that you need to be, this is something you say a lot, Stacey, and I appreciate it. Because I think a lot of us are perfectionists and we're so hard on ourselves and we're like, oh, I need to be perfect at this. No, you don't. You just need to be you. That's where the patients can relate to. Be yourself as much as you can. Don't expect to be perfect. If you messed up the billing, acknowledge that you messed up the billing and apologize to your patient or apologize to the person that needs to be apologized to and let them know, I'm new at this. I'm learning. We don't have to put on a face and act like we know everything. And I think the dark side of buying a practice from someone is that you're going to be very overwhelmed. You're going to be overwhelmed regardless of which path you choose to practice. Everything is going to be a steep learning curve. So in the dark side, in the shadow, is also the light. The yang is within that yin and vice versa. It goes back and forth beautifully. So choose your heart. Choose your heart and know that you're going to survive it, honestly. And nothing is permanent. Oh my gosh, that is a really beautiful life lesson. Nothing is permanent. If you make that decision and it really doesn't work for you, you can sell your practice. You don't have to keep it. And I think a lot of the times when we make a decision because it's so hard to get there, we then think that we have to stand by it forever. At any point in time, we reserve the right to change our minds for any reason, period, end of sentence. You do not have to stay doing something. And it's it, like I said earlier, it's not a failure. It's not a mistake. It's all part of the learning alchemical process that we go through as business owners, as humans. What do you have in your toolbox for your own self? Because I heard just a minute ago that there has been trauma. I think so many of us are, you know, wounded healers. And so you've had some extreme difficult challenges. You went from nothing to 50 patients a week. How do you regulate your nervous system? Such a beautiful question. I was like getting ready to nervous giggle while you're asking that question because... I still think I'm not great at this part. <laughs> I always need to practice this. Just right off the top of my head, instinctively, I want to say, surround yourself with people who support you. And I guess I'll flip that around and say, I try to surround myself with people who support me. That is not always easy. It has not always been easy. And so I have to allow people who are not supportive to leave my life. And that's deeply painful, but the best thing I can do for me 
I'm lucky to have a very loving and supporting partner. And I need a support system to help regulate my nervous system. I need him to massage my forearm while I fall asleep. My needs are very simple. Like, give me my hot water bottle. Really odd little things like that. Just for me, finding pleasure in life is what helps to regulate my nervous system and to be the best self-care possible. And pleasure comes in so many forms. Yes, it can be sex, but it's also taste. It's smell. It's colors. It's sounds. Little tiny pleasures. Watching something that makes me laugh when life gets really, really heavy. I mentioned a hot water bottle, but guys, if you don't know what a hot water bottle is or use a hot water bottle, please do yourself a favor. Go on Amazon, buy a hot water bottle, put it on your belly when you're laying in bed at night. It is so incredibly soothing to the nervous system. You could put it on your feet, but I like it on my belly. And it's really good for patients too. So it's something that is a tip for yourself, but you can also share it with patients because we need warmth and we need comfort at the end of the day. And I try to find things that support that in any way I can. And that's the best answer that I've heard so far. I like the idea of finding pleasures. Find pleasures. I was like, oh, she's going to give psychology major. She's going to give like six somatic exercises to eye exercises to calm your... No, I don't have time for that. I don't have time for that. I have time for none of that. I think most of us could say like, do we practice what we preach? A little bit, but I could definitely yeah. be better about it. Nature is another big one. I will say I love to hike and I go backpacking. Spending time in nature is a big one, but it's also it's the pleasures of being in nature that come together to be soothing to the nervous system. It reminds you that this dangerous, unhappy, scary world is also not so scary. You know, it's also wonderful. It's beautiful and it's perfect as it is. Is there anything else that you want to touch on before we close this out? I think we covered just about everything and probably could keep going, but we should probably stop. <laughs> no, Stacy, thank you so much. This is my first experience with podcasts, and I hope I came across in a way that honors you and the listeners and myself. That's a big one. I just want to say one more time, you guys got this. You're going to do it, and you're going to be so incredibly proud of yourself in a couple of years. Don't pressure yourself too much. Just breathe into that faith that you're going to do incredible. And trust it. Trust it. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you for reaching out. Thank you for wanting to be a part of the AccuSprout community. Thank you for showing up and sharing the things that you have learned and being rather candid about all of them, honestly. That's what I'm doing this for. That just filled my cup. And I just wanted to say thank you. Oh, I'm so glad. Thank you, Stacy. Thank you. Okay, till next time. Till next time. That's it. That's the end of the show. Thanks for tuning in. I really appreciate you guys. And if you appreciate this podcast, it would be amazing if you could head on over to Apple Podcasts and leave a great review. And if you don't like what I'm doing, then that's okay. No worries. Just skip it.